السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا Reciting the Tashahud, Taruz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalib al-Masih V, Ayyadullah Ta'ala ibn Sirazee stated, The name of the Badri companion that I will mention today is Hazrat Usman bin Maz'oon. His title was Abu Saib. Hazrat Usman's mother's name was Sukhaila bint Ambas. Hazrat Usman and his brother, Hazrat Qudama, were of similar appearance. He belonged to the Banu Jumu'ah tribe of the Quraysh of Makkah. The incident of how Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un accepted Islam is as follows. Hazrat Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu narrates that once while the Messenger of Allah was sitting in the courtyard of his house in Makkah, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un passed by. He smiled as he saw the Holy Prophet The Messenger of Allah said to him, Would you not like to take a seat? Hazrat Usman replied, Indeed, why not? Thus he came and sat down in front of him. Whilst in conversation, the Holy Prophet suddenly looked up. He looked at the sky for a moment and then began lowering his gaze slowly until he was looking continuously towards his right. He turned his face away from Hazrat Usman, who was sitting before him, and started looking towards the other direction. Then he lowered his gaze. During this incident, the Holy Prophet was nodding his head so as to indicate as if he was trying to understand something. 
Usman bin Maz'oom, who was sitting next to him, observed all of this. After a short time, when the Messenger of Allah finished this pause, or whatever state he was in at the time, and whatever was being said to him came to an end, something was apparently being said to the Holy Prophet although Hazrat Usman was unaware of what was being said. Once the Holy Prophet had understood what was being said to him, his eyes rose towards the sky once again as it did before. His gaze was following something until that object disappeared from the sky. After this, the Holy Prophet turned to Hazrat Usman bin Maz'oon like before. Usman said, What was the reason of my coming and sitting with you? Hazrat Usman further said, I have never seen you doing what you were doing today. He put this question to the Holy Prophet Upon this the Holy Prophet said, What did you see me do? Usman bin Maz'un replied, I saw your eyes rising towards the sky. Then you looked towards your right and fixed your gaze in that direction, taking no notice of me. You then began nodding your head so as if you were trying to understand what was being said to you. The Holy Prophet ﷺ asked, Did you really observe all this? Hazrat Usman bin Mazun replied in the affirmative. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, While you were sitting next to me, a messenger from Allah came to me and brought me a message. Usman bin Mazun asked, A messenger from Allah? The Holy Prophet ﷺ answered, Yes. Usman asked, What did he say? The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, He said, Inna Allaha ya'muru bil'adli wal-ihsani wa ita'i dhil-qurba wa yanha anil fahshai wal-munkari wal-bagj ya'idhukum la'allakum tadakkaroon Meaning, Verily, Allah enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and giving like kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. He admonishes you that you may take heed. Usman bin Maz'um says, This was the time when faith was truly embedded in my heart and I began to love Muhammad wasallam. Mentioning the initial period after the Holy Prophet made his claim to prophethood, Hazrat Muslim says, In the early stages of that period, the Holy Prophet received companions such as Talha, Zubair, Umar, Hamza, and Usman bin Maz'un, and each one of these was completely devoted to the Holy Prophet. Each and every one of them was prepared to shed his blood for the sake of the Holy Prophet There is no doubt that the Holy Prophet suffered and endured difficulties, trials and hardships for 13 years. However, the Holy Prophet was reassured by the fact that a group of intellectuals, 
people of stature, and righteous and purified individuals from among the people of Mecca, had already accepted him, and that the Muslims were now considered to be a great force. Whenever an individual said that the Holy Prophet was insane, God forbid, some other associates of that individual would say to him that if he is in fact insane, then why would such and such person, who is considered to be intelligent and wise, accept him? This was such an answer that others were left awestruck and unable to reply. European authors try their level best to criticize the Holy Prophet They raise many allegations against him, and at times they do not even refrain from profanities. The same is the case even today. However, whenever Abu Bakr is mentioned, they say that Abu Bakr was a very selfless person. In relation to this, some other European authors write that how can the person whom Abu Bakr accepted be a liar? If one praises Abu Bakr, then the person whom he accepted is most certainly also praiseworthy. If Abu Bakr was selfless, then why did he accept such a greedy individual? And if he was truly selfless, then one must acknowledge that his master was also selfless. This is a great argument which cannot be easily refuted. Hazrat Muslimat has also mentioned this in relation to the promised Messiah He states, Even with regards to the promised Messiah we see that people call him ignorant. However, in order to refute such allegations, God the Exalted provided such means that Hazrat Khalif al-Masih I accepted him in the very beginning. Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi was also among those who praised the promised Messiah prior to his claim. Following this, when the Promised Messiah announced his claim to the world, Allah the Exalted raised a group of intellectuals who immediately accepted the Promised Messiah. These intellectuals were from amongst the scholars, leaders, as well as from amongst the English-speaking people. Hence, analyzing this, the Promised Messiah states, Awe and influence is formed from three means through faith, through knowledge or through wealth Allah the Exalted has blessed the community of the Promised Messiah with all of these means God also provided the Promised Messiah with such companions in the beginning who were praised by the rest of the world as a matter of fact the skill and knowledge of Hazrat Khalid I as a physician are praised even today even non-Ahmadi physicians use his prescriptions and write about them. Nevertheless, at the time of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, people from all sectors of society accepted him, and these individuals were from highly respected households and families. In relation to the rancor and resentment of the disbelievers of Mecca, Hazrat Muslim states, Allah the Exalted provided such means that the hearts of the disbelievers continued to burn and were reduced to ashes. They failed to comprehend how to extinguish this fire. There was not a single family of higher status whose members had not fallen in servitude to the Holy Prophet. Hazrat Zubair belonged to a family of high status, as did Hazrat Talha. Hazrat Umar belonged to a noble family 
and so too did Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'um belonged to a family of high status. Similarly, Hazrat Amr bin As and Khalid bin Walid, who accepted Islam at a later stage, belonged to the noblest of families in Mecca. As, i.e. the father of Amr, was an opponent. However, Amr accepted Islam. Walid was an opponent, yet Khalid accepted Islam. As a Muslim who writes, In short, thousands of people were fierce opponents of Islam, yet their offspring fell at the feet of the Holy Prophet and raised their swords against their fathers and relatives in the battlefield. We find mention of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un's migration to Abyssinia as well as his return to Mecca. As it has already been mentioned, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un was amongst the first converts to Islam. According to Ibn Ishaq, he accepted Islam after 13 individuals. He and his son Saib participated in the first migration to Abyssinia along with a group of Muslims. During his stay in Abyssinia, when he heard the news that the Quraysh had accepted Islam, he returned to Mecca. Ibn Ishaq narrates, When the migrants to Abyssinia received news about the Meccans having prostrated with the Holy Prophet they started making their journey back. I have already given the details of this in a previous sermon. There were others with these migrants, and the reason for their return was that they thought that all the disbelievers of Mecca had accepted the Holy Prophet When they reached near Mecca, they learned the truth of the matter. At that moment, travelling back to Abyssinia appeared too difficult a task for them. According to some other narrations, it is also said that some people did in fact go back to Abyssinia, fearing entry into Mecca without coming under someone's tribal protection. Nonetheless, some of them stayed there until each and every one of those who remained came under the protection of a Meccan local. Meaning that they took the tribal protection of a local person before entering Mecca, they waited until someone from Mecca gave them refuge and safe entry to come back. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'um came under the protection of Walid bin Mughera. Ibn Asag relates, Hazrat Usman saw that the Holy Prophet and his companions were enduring great difficulties, that people were being beaten and great cruelties inflicted upon them. All the while, he, i.e. Hazrat Usman, spent day and night in peace under the tribal protection of Walid bin Mughera. He was a non-Muslim chief among the chiefs of Mecca, and Usman came under his protection. Seeing all this, Usman said, By God, my night and day is passing under peace and protection of an idolater, while my friends and family are being tormented with agonizing persecution. There is surely something wrong with me. He said this to himself. He went to Walid bin Mughera and said, O Abd al-Shams, this was the title of Walid bin Mughera, you have fulfilled your duty. I was under your protection. Now, I desire to leave this protection and go to the Holy Prophet because there is a role model for me 
in the Holy Prophet and his companions. Walid said, O oh my nephew, Walid was a close friend of Osman's father. Perhaps this protection of mine has caused you some harm, or you have been dishonored in some way. Usman responded, No, but I am content with the protection of Allah. I now leave your protection, for I am well pleased with God's protection, and do not desire the refuge of any other besides Him. Walid said, Then come with me to the Kaaba, and openly announce that you are leaving my protection, just like I openly announced giving you protection. As Usman replied, Let us go. They both proceeded to the Kaaba. Walid announced, This is Usman, who has come to renounce the protection I had given him. This was announced before the people. Usman replied, He is telling the truth. Surely I have found him to be true to his promise and honorable in providing protection. Referring to Walid, But now I do not wish to remain in the protection of anyone other than Allah the Almighty. So I have renounced Walid's tribal protection and returned it to him. After this, Usman returned. The mention of this immigration to Abyssinia has been stated previously in reference to other companions. I shall present in summary what Hazrat Mirza Shia Sahib has written referring to various historical sources. When the suffering of the Muslims had reached its limit and the Quraysh continued to aggravate and the affliction of the Muslims, the Holy Prophet instructed Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia and said, the king of Abyssinia is just and equitable. None are subjected to oppression under his rule. The country of Habsha, which is known as Ethiopia or Abyssinia in the English language, is situated to the northeast of the continent of Africa. It is exactly opposite southern Arabia, and with the exception of the Red Sea, no country intercedes it. During that era, a strong Christian sovereignty was established in Abyssinia and the king was referred to as the Negus. As a matter of fact, the ruler there is still called upon by the same name. This was when Miyabashi Sahib wrote this. Arabia had business relations with Abyssinia. During that time, the personal name of the Negus was Ashama, who was a just, intelligent and powerful king. In any case, when the pains of the Muslims reached their limits, the Holy Prophet instructed that those who could afford should migrate to Abyssinia. Therefore, upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in the month of Rajab 5 Nabawi, 11 men and 4 women migrated to Abyssinia. The well-known names among them were as follows, Hazrat Usman bin Affan and his wife Ruqayya, the daughter of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Zubair bin Al-Awam, Abu Hudayfa bin Utba, Usman bin Maz'un, Mus'ab bin Umair, Abu Salama bin Abdul Asad, and his wife, Umay Salama. He further writes, It is very strange that a majority of these pioneer immigrants were those who belonged to powerful tribes of the Quraysh 
and the weaker were few and far between. This illustrates two things. Firstly, even those who belonged to the powerful tribes of the Quraysh were not safe from the cruelties of the Quraysh. Secondly, weak people such as slaves, etc., at that time were in such a grave state of weakness and misery that they were not even able to migrate. Hazrat Muslim has depicted this incident in his own manner. Whilst describing Hazrat Usman bin Mazun's seeking of protection in Mecca and the incident of Labid bin Rabia, he writes, It has already been mentioned that Hazrat Usman renounced his protection. When the atrocities committed by the Meccans had reached their pinnacle, one day the Holy Prophet summoned his companions and said, There is a land to the west after crossing the sea where such injustices are not committed due to the worship of Allah being performed and where people are not killed due to the change in religion. Therein resides a just king. Migrate there, perhaps you shall find greater ease and security. A number of men, women and children migrated to Abyssinia in accordance with this instruction. But it was not an ordinary matter for them to leave Mecca. It had a deep emotional aspect to it, as the Meccans considered themselves the custodians of the Kaaba, and therefore it was unbearable for them to leave Mecca. Only such a man could say that he would leave Mecca, who had no resting place left in the world. Hence, it was an extremely painful episode for these people to migrate, and on top of that, they had to leave in secrecy. They migrated quietly, because they knew that if the Meccans came to know of it, they would not allow them to migrate. For this reason, they were not able to even say their final farewells to their dear ones. They did not even have the chance to meet their close ones, as they were forced to leave secretly. The state of their hearts was such that the onlookers who realized they were outsiders and why they were migrating would also be affected by the pain they felt. Hence, when this caravan was departing, Hazrat Umar, who at the time was a disbeliever, a staunch enemy of Islam and was among the foremost to cause the Muslims to suffer, coincidentally met members of this caravan. Among them was also a companion by the name Umm Abdullah. When Hazrat Umar saw their goods tied up and their riding animals prepared, he understood that these people were leaving Mecca. He said, O Umm Abdullah, this all seems to be preparation for migration. Umm Abdullah said, I replied to him by saying, By God, we are departing to another land for you have caused us much suffering and committed grave atrocities against us. We shall not return to our land until God Almighty brings about the means for ease and comfort. Umm Abdullah says that Hazrat Umar replied, 
Indeed, may God be with you. She then says, I felt a tenderness in his voice, even though at that time he was an opponent of the Muslims. Despite this, he was filled with emotions as he witnessed them migrating. He said, God be with you, and his voice was one of tenderness, which I had never felt before. He then turned away quickly and went on his way. Ayy Hazrat Umar left them, and I felt that he was very sad and sorrowful after witnessing what he did. In any case, when the Meccans were made aware of their migration, they pursued them and continued to chase them right up to the sea. However, prior to their arrival at the sea, the Muslims had already departed for Abyssinia. The Meccans heard news of this and decided to send a delegation to the king of Abyssinia in an attempt to turn him against the Muslims and to also persuade him to hand them over to the Meccans. Hence, this delegation went to Abyssinia and met the king, having instigated the nobles of the courtyard previously. However, God Almighty had strengthened the heart of the king and despite all the insistence of the courtiers who had been influenced by the Meccans and despite them telling him to hand the Muslims over to the Meccans even the courtiers were colluding to hand over the Muslims he refused to hand the Muslims over to the disbelievers when this delegation was unsuccessful and returned to Mecca the Meccans contrived a plan to call Muslims back. They spread rumours among some of the caravans travelling to Ethiopia that everyone in Mecca had embraced Islam. Majority of the Muslims returned to Mecca upon hearing this news. However, after their arrival, they came to know that this news was disseminated mischievously and was utterly false. When the Muslims came to know of this, as it had been mentioned before, some returned to Ethiopia and others stayed in Mecca. As the Muslim mother of the Allah writes, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un was among those who remained behind in Mecca. He was the son of a very wealthy person. This time, Walid bin Mughera, a friend of his father, granted refuge to Hazrat Usman, and he started to live in Mecca safely. However, during this time, Hazrat Usman observed that some other Muslims were facing severe persecution. Since he was an honorable young man, he met Walid and stated, I no longer require your protection because I cannot bear the fact that other Muslims endure such hardships and I live comfortably. Therefore, Walid announced, Usman is no longer under my protection. After this, Labid, a famous poet of Mecca, was once presenting his poetry to the wealthy Meccans. He recited the following couplet, وَكُلُّ نَعِيمٍ لَا مَحَالَةَ زَائِلٌ Meaning, Every favour will indeed come to an end. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un responded, This is false. The favours of paradise are everlasting. Labid, who was an influential person, became infuriated after hearing this response. He said, O people of the Quraysh, your guests were never humiliated in such a manner previously. Since when has this new custom started? Someone responded, this person is foolish. Do not mind what he says. Hazrat Usman insisted on his stance and stated, There is nothing imprudent about what I said. It is the truth. Upon hearing this, 
a person stood up and punched Hazrat Usman on his face, due to which he either lost his eye or it swelled up. Walid, who had granted protection to Hazrat Usman before, was sitting in this gathering. He was a close friend of Hazrat Usman's father, who had passed away. Walid could not endure the present condition of the offspring of his deceased friend. However, according to Meccan traditions, he could not support Hazrat Usman at all because he was no longer under his protection. He was not able to do anything. However, he addressed Hazrat Usman and said with immense pain, O son of my brother, by God, your eye could have been saved from such suffering. You were under superior protection, meaning Walid's guardianship, but you renounced it and saw this day. Usman replied, Whatever has happened with me, I wanted it to happen. You are grieving over my injured eye, while my healthy eye also trembles, anxious that whatever has happened to my companion should happen to it as well. He goes on to write, Addressing Walid, Hazrat Usman said, The example of Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, is sufficient and complete for me. If he is enduring hardship, then why should I not suffer as well? The support of God is sufficient for me. This incident regarding Usman bin Maz'un and Labid bin Rabia, who is a famous Arab poet, is also found in the books of history as per the following. Labid bin Rabia was a well-known poet among the Arabs and used to sit in the gatherings of the Quraysh, as has been mentioned earlier. Hazrat Usman also came and sat with him. Labid read aloud the first line of a couplet. Allah kullu shay'im ma khala Allahu batilun meaning beware everything is finite except Allah Hazrat Usman replied you have spoken the truth upon this Labid continued the rest of the couplet wa kullu na'imin la mahalata zailun meaning and no doubt every reward is subject to an end Hazrat Usman replied you have spoken a lie People looked at Hazrat Usman and told Labid to repeat what he had said, at which Labid repeated. Again, Hazrat Usman once testified to the truth of the first couplet and called the second one a lie, contending that the rewards of paradise are endless. Labid, the poet, began saying, O people of the Quraysh, your gatherings were not always like this. A foolish man from among them stood up and slapped or punched Hazrat Usman in the eye, which made his eye go blue or caused it to swell up. The people present around him said, by God, you are under a strong tribal protection, and your eye was safe from such an injury as you have just received. Hazrat Usman responded, The protection of Allah is stronger and more honorable, and my other eye is also desirous of the same affliction as this eye has endured. It is compulsory for me to adopt the way of the Holy Prophet and those who have believed along with him. Walid said, What harm was there for you in my protection? Usman responded, Aside from the protection of Allah, I do not need any other protection. This was the condition of those people's faith. 
And this was the pain they had for their companions as well. That if they are in pain, then why should we remain behind? In fact, the relationship they had with the Holy Prophet was one of love. Usman felt that if they are in pain, then why should I remain safe? Even just by looking at the examples established by the companions, they would feel pain. Hazrat Muslim Ma'ud states, The reason why Hazrat Usman bin Maz'um gave such a response was because he had heard and read the Holy Quran and was aware of the teachings of Islam. Thus, he did not deem any other work of poetry to have any significance. In fact, later Labid also accepted Islam. Hazrat Muslim Ma'ud further states, Upon accepting Islam, Labid also adopted the same practice. For instance, once Hazrat Umar sent a message to one of his governors and asked him to send any newly composed works of poetry from some of the reputable and well-known poets. Labid, who had become a Muslim by then, was also requested to present his work and subsequently he wrote a few verses from the Holy Quran and sent them. The deep love and bond Hazrat Usman bin Maz'um had with the Holy Prophet can also be gauged from the following account. In one of the narrations it states that upon his demise, the Holy Prophet kissed him and whilst doing so tears were flowing from his eyes. When the Holy Prophet's son Ibrahim passed away, the Holy Prophet stood next to his body and said, Meaning, may you be in the company of our righteous and dear friend Usman bin Maz'un. The account of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un's migration has been narrated as follows. Upon migrating, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un, Hazrat Qudama bin Maz'un, Hazrat Abdullah bin Maz'un, and Hazrat Saib bin Usama stayed at the house of Hazrat Abdullah bin Salama Ajlani. According to another narration, they all stayed at the house of Hazrat Hazam bin Wadiya. Muhammad bin Umar Waqdi relates, The tribe of Maz'un were amongst those people whose entire family, men and women alike, gathered together and migrated and not a single person remained behind. Hazrat Ummir Allah relates that when the Holy Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina along with the other Muhajireen, it was the desire of every Ansari that they stay in their home. Thus, a lot was drawn for this, and Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un was allocated to stay in our home. The Holy Prophet ﷺ established a bond of brotherhood between Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un and Hazrat Abu Haytham bin Tayhan. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un migrated to Medina and also participated in the Battle of Badr. Out of all the people, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un prayed with the most passion. He would observe the fast in the day and would worship in the late hours of the night. He would safeguard himself from carnal desires and would always keep away from women. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un sought permission from the Holy Prophet to lead a life in complete seclusion from the world and also to suppress his carnal desires. However, the Holy Prophet prohibited from doing so. This has been mentioned in Ustul Ghaba, a book of Islamic history. In one of the narrations, it states that once Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un's wife went to meet the noble wives of the Holy Prophet 
upon seeing her in a dishevelled state with her clothes unclean and hair unkempt, they inquired why she was in such a state. They advised her to be more presentable because amongst the people of the Quraysh there was no one wealthier than her husband. Thus it was not a question of her not being able to afford it since her husband was financially affluent and so they advised her to be more presentable. Hazrat Usman bin Mazun's wife responded to the noble wives of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, who were all sat together that Hazrat Usman bin Mazun did not possess anything. He neither had any wealth and nor did have any desire for her. She said, He prays to God Almighty all night and gives me no attention and he fasts during the day. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ entered inside, his wives informed him of her situation. Upon hearing what Hazrat Usman bin Mazun's wife had said, the Holy Prophet ﷺ went to see him and said, Am I not a model for you to follow? Hazrat Usman bin Mazun replied, May my parents be sacrificed for your sake. What has happened? I strive my utmost to emulate your example. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, Do you fast during the day and worship all night? Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un replied in the affirmative. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed him not to do so and said, Your eyes have a right over you, your body has a right over you, your family has a right over you, and your wife and children have a right over you. Therefore, you may pray indeed, but it is also important to sleep. One should awaken in the night to offer their voluntary prayers, but it is also important to sleep. If you keep voluntary fasts, then you should not keep them consecutively and take breaks in between them. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ said this to Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un, after some time, his wife went again to meet the noble wives of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and she was wearing perfume as if she had prepared herself to be a bride. They inquired as to why she had made such an effort to adorn herself, to which she replied that she had also been granted what other women had, i.e. the attention of her husband. In relation to this, there is a narration from Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anha in which she states, The Holy Prophet called for Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un and said, do you dislike my practice? As Usman bin Mazun replied, O Messenger of Allah, certainly not. In fact, I am always seeking to adopt your practice. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, I sleep and I also observe the prayers. On some days I fast, while some days I do not, and also get married to women. O Usman, fear God, for your wife has a certain right over you, as does your guest, and so too does your own soul have a right over you. Thus, Occasionally keep the fast, but on some days do not fast, and pray, but also sleep as well. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has related an account from Bukhari, in which it is mentioned, Saad bin Abi Waqas narrates, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un sought permission from the Holy Prophet to remain secluded from his wife. However, the Holy Prophet refused to grant him permission. Had he granted permission to him, we were also prepared to cut ourselves off, i.e. completely suppress all desires and passions of this nature. I will mention the translation of the Hadith in Bukhari. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas narrates, Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un sought permission for tabattul. However, 
the Holy Prophet refused to grant him permission. This hadith is from Sahih Bukhari, Kitab al-Nikah. It is also narrated in this hadith. Had the Holy Prophet granted him permission, then perhaps all of us would have taken the same vow. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Sahib further writes, There was Usman bin Maz'un, who was from the Banu Juma. He was a man of extremely ascetic disposition. He had abandoned drinking even in the era of the Jahiliyyah and wished to become a recluse after accepting Islam. But the Holy Prophet ﷺ did not permit him, saying, Religious reclusion is not permitted in Islam. Islam requires that one ought to remain in this world and partake of the blessings that God Almighty has bestowed to everyone without neglecting him. This is something that one should always be mindful of. Hazrat Qudama bin Maz'un narrates that Hazrat Umar once encountered Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un while they were both travelling on their mounts. They met at Usaya. This is the name of a mountain pass on the way to Juhfa, past Dhul Halaifa, and it is situated approximately 70 miles from Medina. This is the location that has been mentioned. Nonetheless, the camel of Hazrat Umar shunted the camel of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un. As they passed close to each other, one camel shunted the other. The Holy Prophet had travelled further ahead of the caravan. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un said, O Ghalq al-Fitna, you have caused me injury. When the caravan stopped, Hazrat Umar approached and said, O Abu Sa'ib, i.e. referring to Usman bin Maz'un, May Allah shower his forgiveness on you. What was the name you used to call out to me? He called out by saying, Ghalq al-Fitna. He replied, By God, I was not the one who used the name first. In fact, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was the one who called you by this name. At the time, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was travelling ahead of the caravan. Hazrat Usman bin Muz'un told Hazrat Umar that he could go ask him if he wished. He then explained the background to this incident, saying, On one occasion, Hazrat Umar walked past us whilst we were sitting in the company of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, this individual is Ghalq al-Fitna, i.e. he is a barrier against dissension. The Holy Prophet then indicated that he is a door between us and the dissension and this door will remain sealed shut until he remains among us. This means that whilst Hazrat Umar was alive, there will not be any discord or dissent within Islam. This is corroborated by the events of history as the main disturbances began after this. I will narrate some more details about this incident in which Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un called Hazrat Umar as Ghalq al-Fitna. Hazrat Huzaifa narrates, We were sitting with Hazrat Umar when he asked us, 
Which of you remembers the saying of the Holy Prophet ﷺ regarding the dissension? I replied that I remember it exactly in the manner the Holy Prophet ﷺ informed us. Hazrat Umar then said, You are bold in narrating what the Holy Prophet ﷺ had said, i.e. that he had great conviction that he knows what the Holy Prophet ﷺ said. I said, A man is only put into trial regarding his family, wealth, offspring and his neighbour. These all can serve as a trial. Prayer, almsgiving and virtues can remove this trial from a person. Hazrat Umar replied, This is not what I was referring to. The trials that are related to one's wife, offspring or wealth can all be averted through almsgiving and virtues. Rather, I am referring to that great dissension, the waves of which will rise like the waves in the ocean. There will be a grave dissension that will rise up within the Ummah. Hazrat Hudayfa said, O Amirul Mu'mineen, you have nothing to worry about that. The dissension being referred to will not begin whilst you are alive, and therefore have nothing to fear, as you are that sealed door between that dissension. Hazrat Umar then asked, Will that door be opened or broken? He replied, as the Holy Prophet ﷺ had mentioned, that Hazrat Umar would be a barrier between them and that dissension. Hazrat Umar then asked whether that door would be open or broken down. Hazrat Hudayfa replied, it will be broken, i.e. it is a door that will be broken down and hence opened. Hazrat Umar then replied, in that case it will never be sealed again. If a door is opened, then there is a chance for it to be closed again. However, if a door is forcefully opened and broken, it is difficult to close. Hazrat Umar stated that this door would never be closed again and the dissension will only worsen once this door is broken. We are a witness that the discord and disarray within the Muslim Ummah only worsened after this. There was one dissension after another in the time of Hazrat Usman, Hazrat Ali and the period after them and even today this disarray is visible. The Muslims are thirsty for the blood of their fellow Muslims and they refuse to seek shelter behind the door that God Almighty has created in this era to eradicate this dissension, i.e. the Promised Messiah For this reason, the disarray and discord continue to increase. May God Almighty keep us out of harm's way, and may we, as Ahmadis, remain behind the shield granted to us in this era by God Almighty in the form of the Promised Messiah This was the incident regarding that matter. Hazrat Umar stated, in such a case that door will never be closed. Those people sitting with Hazrat Huzaifa, i.e. the one narrating the incident, asked him, Did Hazrat Umar know regarding this door? Hazrat Huzaifa replied, Yes, he knew about it, just as one knows that the night precedes the day, i.e. he was fully aware of it. Hazrat Umar knew that after him the dissension and discord would begin. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un was the first among the Muhajireen to pass away in Medina in 2 Hijri. According to some narrations, he passed away 22 months after the Battle of Badr and he was the first person to be buried in Jannat al-Baqi. Nonetheless, there are other incidents about him which I will narrate in the future, God willing.